There is so much to say about this conversation with Matthew and Tia Rayford. We talk about Matthew's book, Bress and Yam, their newlywed status, and their plans, among all manner of other asides, like any good conversation. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Matthew Rayford and Tia Rayford. They are chef farmers living on Gilliard Farms in Brunswick, Georgia. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Matthew, I want to get started asking you about writing that book. Oh, wow. Um, Bress and Yam, Gullah Geechee for Bless and Eat. Um, it is, you know, a lot of times people talk about where you come from and, you know, like how things developed. And I wanted to write a book that was based on not just where I was from, but like the whole coast of Georgia and putting it into the eyes of African American. And so I was able to do that with this book with the help of the writer, Amy Condon, who was just amazing in capturing my voice um, and putting the stories together and even coming back to ensure that what I said was what I wanted to be printed also. And so that is literally how I came about. Well, it's also beautiful. Thank you. Um, Thank when you. you look at all the pictures and just how the whole thing is put together. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the publishers and the photographers, they did fabulous An jobs. amazing job, an amazing job. And it was really interesting because all of us that participated in the book are all from about 70 miles from each other. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so Amy Condon's located in Savannah, Georgia. Paprika Southern is located in Savannah, Georgia. Claire Parrish, who is most of the pottery inside the book, Savannah, Mm -hmm. Georgia. Greenway Farms, Mm -hmm. which got me a lot of the microgreens and things like that. They're in Waycross, Georgia, which is only 45 minutes from me. So we wanted this to be uber-focused, uber-local, as best we could. And everybody just came in, and it was really interesting. I think I looked at maybe... I don't know, at least 20 cookbooks prior to doing this one. And when I sat down with Amy, I said, I don't want to talk about what I want to do. I want to talk about what I don't want to do. And so I took all the cookbooks and laid them out. And I was like, see, like, I don't like how this is, this looks. And you see how that reads? I mean, if you're not a chef, you're not going to get that. Right. And And there are a lot of cookbooks out like that. Right. Oh, that, I, I can which believe is, it. Which is yes. fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there were there are a lot of recipes that are inside the book that Amy came back and said, Matthew, this sounds like a chef talking to another chef. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wrote it like that for real? You know? And she was like, yeah. And I said, but that just came out of my po- you know, out of my notes on my iPad. You know what I'm saying? She was like, no, 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 really, you wrote it in complete chef speak. And then I would turn in another one that was sounded like I was just talking with my mom. Uh-huh. And so she was like, I want you to, like, capture the spirit 
of your own voice and your family's voice as you write the recipes. And so it got so crazy that we now have something called the pinches, dashes, and drizzles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That should be the name of the podcast, pinches, <laughs> dashes, and drizzles. Yes, I like that. I know, right? Because that's the way everybody cooked. You know, it wasn't like, oh, two teaspoons of this, four teaspoons of that, blah, 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 blah. That's more standardized recipe yeah. thought process. I totally know what you mean mm-hmm. because yeah. I learned to cook with my grandmother, mm-hmm. and she was from – Palermo, Sicily. Okay. And so there was no standardized measurement. It was, mm-hmm. what does it feel like yeah, when right. you touch what it? Is it touch right. What does it taste like? Yes, yeah, so, exactly. So learning like that, I then started writing like that. And, uh-huh. and she was like, I need you to get a little bit more in the middle of the road on this one. <laughs> but my grandmother used to say every tomato is different. Yeah. Yes. And so you have to taste what you're doing mm-hmm. because sometimes you my have to add the this or whatever. And and we depend on our food, every single thing, every. tasting the same every mm-hmm. time, right. mm-hmm. which is just not possible. No. Right, right, no. right. So that's, you know, that's that's really how the book even got to where it is also with the way the stories are told, the way the things are written. It was a group effort. It was not, you know, my thought, my my wanting to do it, but the, the team really came and was like, you know, even down to, I remember uh, Bevan and Zabon from, from Paprika Southern going, hey, look, we, I want you to understand you have a darker skin. I need you to think about what you're wearing, and you need to wear this kind of shirt with this kind of sunlight. So there was a lot of that thought process in because visually when you, we're just walking around with our own naked eye, it's something totally different from a picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they really captured that. And if you don't know about that, you just don't right, even, you just think, don't right. even think, about don't it, think about it. Right? About yeah. It. yeah. I have to say that the, that's why the book is the way it is. It's not just Matthew Rayford. It, it was definitely a team, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's really, it's, it's really beautiful. lovely. Yeah, Thank it is you. a beautiful it's really book. beautiful book. And the publisher, you know, Countryman Press, they, they also dove all the way in. Like they, it, I had no idea it was going to look and feel like it does. Mm-hmm. But when I came in and I said I wanted the name to be Breast and Yam, they were like, okay. And I was like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was waiting for them to be like, well, what does that mean? What is, you know, you, I was waiting for all the, and I had a list, literally. I, I only think I've only said this one time before. The day we called to talk about the title of the book, I put three different titles up, Breast and Yam being the one. Mm-hmm. with all the reasons it needed to be Bress and Yam. Mm-hmm. Do you know that I didn't even, I never mentioned one thing. I, they were like, so Matthew, you know, and, and this is like a conference call kind of a thing too. And Amy's sitting there like, go ahead, go ahead, say it. You know, <laughs> and I was like, Bress and Yam. And they were like, oh, that sounds amazing. But what does it mean? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it means bless and eat in Gullah Geechee. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, bless and eat. You wouldn't. You don't necessarily do a big long prayer every time you get ready to, you know, mm-hmm. bless your food and eat it, baby. Mm-hmm. You only got a few minutes, right? You ain't got all day to be mm-hmm. sitting around, you know, acting like we at church. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So, God is great. God is good. God is good, right? <laughs> bless his Lord. Bless his food and Amen. keep it moving, right? Amen. Right. 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 So that's that's also what we wanted to do. And then as I started to understand more about yam and eating. Um, I started to realize that 
you know, I have friends from Jamaica when I when they when they saw the book, they was like, we we say yam all the time, and I was like, oh shoot, and then it started like adding other layers of like how I thought about writing the book mm-hmm. because people would say, oh, I heard you writing your book, what's the name of it? And I go breast and yam, and they go, boy, where you learn, you know? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Because also, I was also raised in a house that you were not allowed to speak Gullah Geechee. Oh, really? Yes. So I I talk a lot of times because I have people like, oh, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. And I'm like, well, it's all going to be in English. And they're like, (laughs) oh, really? And I was like, yeah. I said, because my dad was about the king and queen's English. He was like, I don't want you to grow up and have to continuously repeat what you're saying, continuously have these conversations about why you talk like that. Mm -hmm. So the only way you're going to talk is the way I tell you to, which is English, like a very specific English. Like we didn't, I still, and Tia can witness this, I've said ain't in front of my dad and he winces still. Oh mm-hmm. wow! Right, and I'm like, Dad, it's in Webster's now. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> right? <laughs> Not it's just the urban dictionary, word. right? 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 right. You know, so even the name Fire, like you know, when I said, you know, because when he looked at the way I wrote the cookbook, he's he writing this on the elements, and I was like, Yeah, and he was like, Well, why don't you just call it water? And I said, Nah, but it's the water. And he was like, Well, you know, we don't talk like that. And my dad is still saying that at 78 years mm-hmm. old, right? Mm-hmm. But part of it is he's originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut. He was uh, never diagnosed with dyslexia, but because that didn't exist as a word back in the 50s and 60s. So he wanted to make sure Matthew is your name. You don't let nobody half your name. Like when people go, oh, so what should I call you, Matt or Matthew? And I was like, Matthew. And they're like, oh, you know, you're like the first Matthew that actually said. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, because my dad was like, people will walk over you if you shorten what you've been given. I didn't. Mm -hmm. That never registered until right. I really walked into adulthood, yes. you know. And so, yeah, so that's, yeah, long are, story short. Are people teaching Gullah Gucci now? G- Gullah Gucci now, they are. Oh, Actually, sorry, at Harvard. Gullah Geechee. No, no, no worries, no worries. Um, they are at Harvard, as a matter of fact. Are they? Yes. Um, it To me, that this language as an African language that is still being preserved, preserved uh-huh. is as important as Creole and Patois mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of the, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, this is the other low country right here, right? New Orleans is the other low country. So, yeah. and, and we all, we, it's, it's so amazing. Like all our foods are so similar. Mm-hmm. Rice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Cane sugar, like we beans. just, beans, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're, we're all, and, and that, that's, you know, seafood, seafood, right. lots of seafood. Right. So we're all more alike. Right. Then we are different. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. and it's so interesting because I was just, you know, in the cookbook, it's Effie Shrimp Creole. Uh-huh. Well, it's called Shrimp Creole because her friend was from Louisiana uh-huh. that taught uh-huh. her how to make shrimp Creole. Creole. Mm-hmm. But in South Carolina, th- th- it'd be a shrimp perlu. Right. You know, uh-huh. and so, and then other places, it's called paella. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> oh, listen, I always say this in New Orleans. If I go to your house mm-hmm. and you make gumbo, mm-hmm. I know it's gumbo. It's different from my gumbo, right. but mm-hmm. it's gumbo. Right. You come to my house, you eat gumbo, you 
know it's gumbo. Know. Different from your different gumbo. Different from your right. gumbo, right? Everybody's gumbo is different right. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even in the same family, people's right. gumbos begin to change. Mm-hmm. And that's what... That's how we know each other. Yes. Because we recognize right. yes. that's gumbo. Yes. Right. I was in, uh, I, I used to be in the, the JAG Corps in the Army. Oh, okay. oh, wow. And I was in the JAG school in the, you know, in the beginning when I first joined. And there were, there was, there were two other people from Louisiana. They weren't from New Orleans, but mm-hmm. they were from Louisiana. And so we used to get together, and it would be, all right, today's your gumbo night. Right. Today's your gumbo night. <laughs> your right, gumbo. right. Because we knew it would always be different. Right. And so you weren't eating the same gumbo all the time. But it was it was just wonderful because Absolutely. you were eating home. You know? Right, mm-hmm. definitely. It's interesting that you just mentioned that. So when were you in the JAG Corps? I, I joined in 1975. So I joined the military Exactly eleven years later, January nineteen eighty six. Okay. So I, I mean, it's just interesting because when I landed in Germany, I'm walking up to my barracks, duffel bag on my back, and somebody hollers out the window, "Hey, where are you from?" And I was like, "Georgia," and they was like, "Oh my God, we haven't had a good home cooked meal in I don't know how long." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Like I don't? I'm not a cook. I do recon. <laughs> like I, I didn't come here to cook, you know." And literally, I have. Done. I have been known to do. I, I would go to the flesh house at which, uh, like the abattoir in uh, in Schweinfurt, mm-hmm. and get garbage bags full of ribs because that that wasn't something that the Germans ate for like thirty dollars, like a contractor's bag uh-huh, of ribs, uh-huh. and do you know small cookout stuff. And it's just really interesting that when you said the gumbo, like it's your turn to do. It. And so literally, the sauce was that way. It was like. Oh, where are you from? Oh, you from Georgia? Okay, well, see, I'm from South Carolina, so we do our barbecue sauce like this. Oh, wait, I'm from Texas. You know, I do my barbecue sauce like this. I'm Oklahoma, you know. And so it's really interesting that even in the military, there's this bond or camaraderie that comes around food. I'm not talking about mess hall or MREs or any of that kind of stuff. Um, But I'm just saying, like, around food, where we're like, when we get together, it's kind of like, man, I just... Taste of home, you yeah. know. So, so, so Tia, hey, I want to I want to bring you into this conversation. And so, you two are partners in mm-hmm. this in this enterprise. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit about how you met and what your background is. I'll start with the second question. Okay. So, my background is I was raised in Connecticut. My family. Uh, my mother's family is from a town called Wetumpka, Alabama. So you're both from Connecticut. We both yes. have Connecticut, Connecticut in our... Yeah. Okay. That was one of the reasons we were attracted to each other when we met at culinary school in the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Um, so my mother's family is from a town called Wetumpka, which has about how many people on it? 4,000. Wait, <laughs> yes, 4,400 people as of this last Memorial Day. <laughs> And my grandfather was born in a town called Eclectic. It's actually the only eclectic in America. Population 400. (laughs) (laughs) So during the Great Migration, they moved to Albany, New York, which is where I was ultimately born. My father's father was from Tuskegee, Mm -hmm. and he moved to Dayton, Ohio. My father became a relatively well-known session musician player and... um, 
has been an artist his entire life. My parents met, moved to Connecticut. So I refer to myself as a first-generation northerner. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, grew up with a lot of the customs and the traditions of the South, and I come from a family of farmers as well, that there's still 120 acres of land in my family. Um, I was always attracted to cooking. I, I started cooking with my mom was when I was around seven. I was always the one around the house that was helping to wallpaper and, you know, do things. Like, I just I just really enjoyed those things. And cooking um, was just as important to me as music, being, you know, a musician's daughter and growing up in this very bohemian community in, in Hartford. And decided, you know, through my journeys of, you know, starting working at Friendly's to apprenticing with a German chef that I wanted to go to culinary school. At that time in the mid-90s, there weren't a lot of black women either that went to culinary school. So I was, you know, certainly a pioneer in that in that element. Uh, and that's where Matthew and I met. I had just gotten back from externship at the Grand Hyatt in New York City. And it was, I guess, kismet from there. Like we had a... Not quite quiz- kismet. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was your sarcasm. So, yeah, that was my sarcasm. But, uh, but we, did, we met... We were dating for like four months. Mm-hmm. Tia went to L.A. and then I went to Las Vegas. Um, we met once. A slow kismet. A very slow kismet. A very kismet slow kismet. Because it wasn't until 23 years later <laughs> that we reconnected very briefly um, now we had always known of each other. You know, Facebook stayed came in common, out, right? Stayed, you know, you know right. cheered each other on. Yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. Sure. Yeah. And then um, literally this year, I was, she came up in January and I said, um, hey, it's great for you to come up, but, you know, that whole just kind of hanging out kind of <laughs> stuff, that's about as far as we're going to get. <laughs> I was if like, you great. Want, she was like, awesome. great, because that's all, that's all I want to do too, right? <laughs> and then it also, we had a, a, a little longer conversation just about life and all those kinds of things. And I was like, look. If we're going to do this, let's just, I don't, I'm not waiting years to figure it all out. I don't need that much time anymore. Um, And at that time, I was living in Philadelphia. I'd lived in Philadelphia for a number of years and had worked for Mark Vetri, Mm -hmm. who's a a beard-winning chef based in Philadelphia, was his culinary director for his nonprofit, which is now called Vetri Community Partnership, where I, I went down a path in my career that I was very focused on childhood nutrition and teaching children and next generations on how to cook and how to eat and how food affects your body. And that led to my, my the role I most recently uh, resigned from, which was a culinary director for a food service company that's based in France. And we had 200 school districts around the country, mostly underserved communities that, you know, were focused on culinary strategy and the like. Yeah, and yeah. how to source food and how to be thoughtful and authentic and genuine with food. So yeah. I was kind of in that same place. I was like, I'm good. Like, you know, I got, I'm, I, have, I got my Peloton. You know, I'm like riding through the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> I was like, I'm in a good place. Yeah. I, you know, I'm feeling ill. So when, when we did connect, it was uh, – that was kismet. Yeah, that was kismet. It was like it took twenty five years, years to, <laughs> <laughs> to get to this yeah. loving point of being married, which we just got married this past May. Yes, so we've been married six yeah, months. now. Six months now, and and people always go, y'all act like y'all been together forever, and I was like, 
Most of it is because we're mature now. Yeah. Kind of. I'm kind of mature now. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if I am. Right. <laughs> um, I but, but food is food is our constant, like, coming back point. Yeah. You know, like, no farther how, no matter how far we stretch ourselves out, we come back to food. And I will, I will say I, re- I really feel blessed in understanding that within any partnership, there's someone that should do very specific things Mm -hmm. and then that person should let the other person do very specific things so Mm -hmm. anything that has to do with culinary and cooking and events tia completely takes care of i don't i in the business in the business stuff (laughs) anything that has to do with farming um seed saving all of that i completely take the responsibility to take care of those things and it has created a really interesting balance for us yeah. because it's not like, how come you didn't plant this? Or how come you didn't cook this? It's more like, hey, what do you think? Yeah, do you think that we should do this? Or, this is what I want. What I want to do is this. Is, are we still going in the same right direction? Right. right. So there, th- that balance has been amazing. So do you feel that together you've expanded both of your horizons? Oh, yeah. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah. yeah those- absolutely. There's a number of projects and businesses that I was working on that complemented a number of things that he was doing. So just as an example, before the pandemic, I started a business called Zazu Teas. It's a premium bottled iced tea beverage product that uh, focused on using all natural and anti-inflammatory ingredients. So mm-hmm. three flavors. Um, and I started it because I had arthritis and was looking for different ways to treat my inflammation mm-hmm. other than just taking pills mm-hmm. that, you know, using food as a healing source mm-hmm. and a nutritional source is mm-hmm. very important to me. So I started this tea business and I was about to open a coffee and tea shop that is called hard grind that that name came from one of my father's albums. Okay. Okay. So and that's he, a nice connection. Yeah, that's a yeah. nice, you know, so that's also one thing that he and I have together is that we are able to be very fluid in connecting our past, present, and into our future. And that's just been one of the beautiful things that's come out of our our marriage and relationship. Mm -hmm. So pandemic hit. I didn't open the coffee shop, but started doing all the work of, you know, securing the name. At that same time, he was working on a spice line. And coffee. And coffee. Yeah. And, you know, teas that... Dried teas. Dried teas. From what Uh we were growing at the farm. Right? So I had bottled... He had dried. Right. He had this concept that he was coming up with and had a name for it. And as we were starting to combine our thoughts and visions and everything, we were able to create that brand hard grind. Because oh, teas get so ground, nice. spices yes. get yes. ground, coffee yes. gets ground. It pays yeah. homage to my father. Mm-hmm. You know, it continues the family connection that's very important to both of us as well as the synchronicity that we have working together. Like, I remember the first time we cooked together, which was in St. Louis. Now, when you're at culinary school, you don't, you know, you don't get to cook with people really outside of your little pod. Literally. Literally. Like you cook in the class and then there's nowhere to cook in your dorm. Right. You yeah. better eat all you can in school. Right. So we were cooking together for the, he asked me to help him with an event. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, and we just started working in a space that's probably a little smaller than this studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
someone was like, wow, you two really flow well together. How long have you been cooking together? And we're like, we're uh, this today. Day's old. <laughs> we're this day's old. This we're cooking old. together. And it was literally, she came in and she was like, what do you need me to do? And I was like, here's the menu. Here's where I am. Let's just start m- marking it off. And it wasn't even like, what kind of seasoning you want on this? What kind of? Di- it was more like, this is what we have. This is the name of it. it what time do we need it? What time do we need it by? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and, uh-huh. and we just we just started, you know, if it said mango pork loin, then, of course, mango needs to go somewhere. somewhere. Is it the right. sauce? Or right. Da, da, da. So it was very quick. Like, yes, I need you to make a mango sauce. The pork loin's already seasoned. All we got to do is roast it off. And she's like, bet. And she was just able to, like, okay, you know, and then she garnished it accordingly. So, and I think we have pictures of that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when we even when strangers see us work in the kitchen when we're working with people in there. It's it's they're just like I remember we had an employee one time that was just dumbfounded at the fact that he was my sous chef. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> She's that like, was Wait, hilarious. She's in charge, charge right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's saying yes, chef. <laughs> and, and, and literally, we we work like that together too. It's like when we go into a place. It like it, like the dinner that we just had. Uh-huh. Um, she was like, hey, I'm going upstairs. Here are the four or five things that I'm going to be doing upstairs. If you need me, let me know. And if I need you, I'll let you know. And literally it was like, Phew. and then all of a sudden it was like we had more people, more hands come in. And she came down. And, I was, and she was like, hey, chef, I need to find out how far are you on this and how far are you on that? And is this the right size? And I was like, boom, yeah, this is da da da. This is what we're doing. And everybody was like, uh, yeah. Y'all call each other chef? And I was like, yeah, yeah. only when, when we're in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what, you know. And so it's also this thing that I want to make sure that people, the listeners understand is that I want to make sure that my wife, my partner, gets the same amount of respect as I get, especially knowing that we have the same amount of time in the kitchen. So mm-hmm. combined, we, we're had, almost 60, yeah, 60 years. years. We've had some very similar experiences in our careers that, you know, I was a chef at the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And I was at the 1996 Olympics. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So when you look at those kinds of things, you know, like, how do you, how do been, you balance? Like, yeah. and there's no, you know, one of the things we, we both agreed on, which I didn't even know we were agreeing on it when we got married, was that there's no ego in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't even allow people that work with us to fall in with that ego thing because and we'll say it enough times for people to like okay they really mean no no ego, ego in the kitchen None. which even going back to the book when I was writing the book it was like no ego when I was writing the book I was I was writing the book because I wanted to get out this piece of knowledge that I felt that the world needed to hear about. But you knew that other people also had something to contribute to the Absolutely. book that you didn't know about. That I didn't so, know about. Yeah, because I would have right. wore I would have wore this shirt right here uh, for some of those photographs. Yeah. I wouldn't have known, right. you know. And we always say when we're in the kitchen, you know, we're we're getting together new groups of people that are working together. It's like we'll take eager over ego any day, any day, any day. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Same way on the farm. If you if you don't know something, it's okay. If I don't know something. That's okay too. Like you know, right. you're the leader of this environment, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean, you know, 
you make all the decisions. You just have to own all of them. Right, right. right. You just yeah. have to own them. And you do always continue to learn from other people. Absolutely. Always. Yeah, yeah. Co- cooking and farming is probably the two craziest professions that are always based on lifelong learning. I mean, you just learned about macaroni and cheese. I did. <laughs> That mustard can go in macaroni and cheese. I never, I was this day's old, well, not this day's old, but a couple of months ago that I learned that mustard could go in macaroni and cheese. I had never, I had never seen it done before. I'd never heard of it being done before. And, and I maybe grew people up with were it. putting, and maybe people were putting powdered mustard in it. And so it didn't really register that it was mustard. Mm-hmm. But literally, we put in like French's mustard, into, and I was like, "What? What are we doing?" You know. And then everybody that everybody that ate it, no one knew it didn't give it a mustard taste. Right. And people it gave were, it a la- it's just a, it's just, it's just a, a layer, layer of flavor. flavor. And it was amazing to watch people eat this macaroni and cheese. It was like a thousand people eating this macaroni and cheese. Coming back to the catering manager, going, "I've had macaroni and cheese all this." This with this brisket and this bourbon barbecue sauce, I've never had anything like that. Mm. And when you can do that for a thousand people, oh yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a yeah. feeling of amazingness. Yeah. I don't know how much mustard she put in, so please, no one <laughs> ask me. It was a it usually, was a drizzle. It was a drizzle. <laughs> but you usually don't have that acid kick into macaroni and cheese. I could see where yeah, that right. Would be it's really it's great. a very subtle like you, you yeah. know, uh-huh. almost like how you would use the nutmeg. Like, you don't want it to overpower anything. So people don't say, oh, I taste, oh, good, nutmeg. I taste nutmeg. Right. Yeah. You, don't, I don't, you don't want to taste nutmeg, but mm-hmm. you want to feel it. Uh-huh. Right. You know, you uh-huh. want to feel that it. You feel that feeling. Warm, right. Yeah, that right. 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 Yeah. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> you okay. Yeah. You are. You all right. <laughs> so what is next on the horizon? What's next on the horizon? Well, I am already working on the book proposal for my second book. Okay. Um, It's going to be about companion planting and how planting these items together make the food taste better because these two items that grow very well together have a symbiotic relationship in the pan also. Okay. Um, and yeah, you know, and then we're getting goats. Yeah, we're getting goats. Oh, we're getting uh, some goats. Yeah, yeah. Some Spanish goats. Yeah. So we're getting ready to add those. We already and, have kuni kuni hogs and silky chickens. And silky chickens with the little afros on the top. <laughs> um, but and, but and we also are working on Jupiter's harvest. Yes, which is uh, ultimately it's our mission based business, but hoping to get it to be a nonprofit in the future. That's uh, educational curriculum programs on and off the farm that teach the connection between farming and food and how it is a holistic approach. It, it, they're interdependent upon each other. Right. And we are very focused and driven on teaching future generations of that. Yes, because, I, you know, one of the big things that's happening right now is the mess up of the supply chain. Right. That's and, definitely. Right. And without understanding, like, a tomato, um, the varieties of tomatoes that can be planted, the variety of peas and beans that can be plant, planted. Um, we're working with the Jubilee Justice Project right now to reclaim rice. So I'm probably in Georgia the first African-American to be growing rice in over 100 years on the coast of Georgia. Wow. And so we're very excited about this project. Um, I think that and Jupiter's Harvest are probably our biggest I mean, we have a lot. That, I mean, we got yeah, a lot of things yeah, going on, but yeah, I would say yeah, those sure. two, those two projects right there, are probably the 
biggest. We're working on, lastly on agritourism at the farm because oh. we want more people to to come to the farm, but also to see it from the eyes of it being a 150-year-old farm, right. right? And that it's the land's been in my family since 1874, that Jupiter um, Gilliard was born enslaved in 1812. We still have the original sugarcane press on the property from 1919. That is so special because so many things like that either deteriorate or or they are just gone. It's still there. And so we're also trying to grow crops that we can not only show um, really just diversity on the farm, but actually show like why plant these things like this and why do we need the sun to hit them like this and all those kinds of things. And then we have compost projects and the like. So yeah, there we are. So thank you all so much for being here today. It's been a really great pleasure. Thanks for listening to tip of the tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.